Thank you for listening to the City Lights podcast. You can visit us on Sundays, 10 a.m. at 4100 20th Street in Greeley. We hope you enjoy the message. All right, if you got your Bibles, get them out. We're continuing our series called Builders of the Wall. Um, this is part 10. Next week will be part 11, and then we'll be done with the series uh, for the year. Um, and then again, some might say, Pastor Kurt, are you going to talk about Christmas? Yes, I am, at our Christmas Eve candlelight service. So come to that. Uh, again, that's 2 p.m. and 3.30 p.m. on Christmas Eve. And it's becoming a very special uh, Christmas tradition for City Lights Church. So bring the whole family to that. And it leaves enough time where, you know, Christmas Eve is like that evening. is really, I almost like that better than Christmas Day itself. Um, just that time together. So it leaves time to, to still go be with family um, in the evening. Okay, we have in this series been exploring, called Builders of the Wall, we've been exploring what it means to be a Holy Spirit-empowered, life-giving church. Um, the Lord gave me a blueprint a few months ago about uh, what this looks like for us. And um, the Lord showed me that the gates listed in Nehemiah chapter 3 are a blueprint or a prototype of the gates that spirit-empowered, life-giving churches need to have in operation. All right? So um, I'm going to kind of breeze over, I'm going to breeze over the review. Um, Well, actually, I'm going to skip the review. So that's a pretty quick breeze, wasn't it? It's a very brisk wind. Um, because I want to get into the content of the message, and uh, I think for some of you, this for some of you would be right with me. For some of you, this might be a little bit like drinking out of a fire hose today. So I say, let's just get right to the fire hose, right? Okay. All right. So um, go ahead and put up the the picture of uh, Jer- the Jerusalem gates. Next one. That's Boom, there it is. Okay, so we've covered all those gates, sheep, fish, old, valley, dung, fountain, water. Last week we did the horse gate, which was spiritual warfare. And this week we're moving on to, what is it? The east gate. I bet you'll never guess how the east gate got its name. (laughs) Being on the east side of of the temple there, okay? All right. Um, I'm going to give you the punchline of what the East Gate represents, and then I'll spend some time explaining how I got there. Okay, how we got there. Um, the East Gate speaks of biblical prophecy, Bible prophecy, or the return of the Lord Jesus to this world. Okay, so we're not talking about the ministry gift of prophecy. The ministry gift of prophecy would be under the, the fountain gate, the gifts and ministries of the Holy Spirit. The Eastern Gate speaks of biblical prophecy, the second return of the Lord Jesus. Here's my point, though. Part of God's healthy recipe for life-giving, spirit-empowered churches is that we must keep in view the return of the Lord Jesus. This is part of God's plan for you to be a healthy believer in this world. Okay? Um, Now, I'll explain why that view is so important in a few minutes, but first I want to explain um, why the East Gate represents the second return of Jesus. Um, let's go ahead and put up a picture of modern day, the modern-day East Gate. Um, so we have that, boom. Okay, so there, there is the East Gate, um, also known as uh, the Golden Gate. That some, many call it the Golden Gate. Um, 
What you'll notice about this gate that faces east in Jerusalem, um, in between the Kidron Valley and uh, the Mount of Olives, is that this gate is sealed. Um, Today, this is the only gate in Jerusalem that is sealed. Okay, why is it sealed? All right, here's why it's sealed. In the year uh, 1537, um, the Ottoman Empire was... um, uh, took over much of the Middle East, parts of Europe, parts of North Africa. So the Ottoman Empire was was a, a big thing, and um, it was a it was a Muslim empire. And um, Suleiman the Magnificent um, was a sultan, uh, the Sultan Muslim, and he rebuilt the walls. Of, he ordered that the walls of Jerusalem be rebuilt. Um, I don't know how he got the name Suleiman the Magnificent. I was thinking about how at home I would like to be called. Kurt the Magnificent, or <laughs> Husband the Magnificent, or Father the Magnus- Magnificent, but it didn't stick. So <laughs> I assume this guy gave himself the name the Magnificent. So <clears throat> it stuck with him, though. Um, here's the deal: after 70 A.D., after the the Temple in Jerusalem was destroyed, um, the city changed hands a few times. In fact, throughout the course of the history of Jerusalem. Um, I think it's been conquered like 44 times throughout its long history. Um, but since 70 AD, um, in particular, the Christian crusaders and the Muslims um, exchanged hands a few times um, for the control of that city. But in 1541, um, after Suleiman had rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, he learned that both Jews and Christians believe that the Messiah will return, go through the East Gate before taking over and ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. He learns of this, uh, this prophecy, or this um, tradition and prophecy, I should say. Um, so he orders that the East Gate be sealed, okay, to prevent the Messiah from coming. I don't know. I don't think it's going to work, you know. <laughs> I mean, if you're the Messiah, it seems to me like you're the author of the universe. Like, I think you could deal with a, a sealed gate. So he also places a, uh, a cemetery in front of the gate because uh, he learned from the, the rabbis that um, a, a Jewish high priest, uh, the Jewish Messiah, would have become uh, ceremonially unclean by walking through, um, touching a dead body or touching the grave. Um, this is also no problem for Jesus, by the way. <laughs> Because Jesus doesn't, when Jesus touches something unclean, it doesn't make him dirty. It makes that thing clean. So also not a problem for him. So, um, so for the last 480 years, 480 years, this, this gate has been sealed shut. It has not been opened. Um, to give you a reference point, uh, Solomon was, was born in year 1494, so just two years after Christopher Columbus discovers the Americas. So basically, for the same amount of time that Europeans have been in the Americas, this gate has been uh, completely sealed. Um, what he didn't realize, what Solomon didn't realize, is that <clears throat> instead of preventing biblical prophecy from being fulfilled, he's actually caused it to be fulfilled. Okay, and I want to read you this, this um, out of Ezekiel 44, 1 through 4. Um, by the way, Ezekiel was written between the year uh, 592 BC and, and 570 BC. So um, 2,000 years pass after this prophecy that I'm about to read in Ezekiel 
um, to this gate being sealed. It says this, Then the man brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary, the one facing east, and it was shut. The Lord said to me, This gate is to remain shut. It must not be open. No one may enter through it. It is to remain shut because the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered through it. The prince himself is the only one who may sit inside the gateway to eat in the presence of the Lord. He is to enter by way of the portico of the gateway and to go out the same way. Okay, so this gate's been sealed for, you know, uh, what did I say? It was 480 years. From a, and, it, and the prophecy given that it would be sealed was... 2,000 years old, and it was sealed, okay? Um, interestingly enough, um, during the Six-Day War, when, in 1967, when Israel regained control of East Jerusalem, um, the, the gate was in jeopardy of being breached, and here's why. Um, there are, in Jerusalem, um, it's, it's a high place, so it's, it's a hard to attack, but there are some obvious ways to attack the city. If you were going to attack the city of Jerusalem, you would do so from the north or from the west. The Kidron Valley is much deeper, and the south of, of Jerusalem is much steeper, and it's harder to attack from that direction. So during the Six-Day War of 1967, the Israelis, who are always thinking of ways to throw off their enemies, they think, hey, instead of coming the obvious way, Let's, let's, go, let's go by the Kidron Valley and attack the city from the east. And so someone gets this idea. They're like, wait a minute. What if we breach the eastern gate in order to make a, an attack, a surprise attack on the uh, Jordanians? Um, however, a Jewish rabbi caught wind of this, that they were going to breach the eastern gate. And he said, over my dead body, are you going to breach that, that eastern gate? That is to remain closed until the Messiah comes. Okay. Or as you and I would say, until the Messiah returns. <clears throat> okay, so that's the Eastern Gate. And I'm going to get a little bit into biblical prophecy here so that we can better explain this Eastern Gate. Um, before I do, before I dive into this, I want to just say that if you, carry, if you carry a slightly different view of end time events, like, you know, because people like divide over this stuff. Okay, if you carry a slightly different view of end-time events, that's okay. Um, we're not going to divide over that. I know a little bit about biblical prophecy, and I will admit that there's still a lot that I don't know about Bible prophecy. Um, but we will, because this is one of the gates that the Lord has highlighted to me that we need to, that life-giving spirit and power churches need to have. We will dive more into the subject in the future. But what I want to stress is that what we all need to have is the view that Jesus is returning, he's coming back, is important. That longing in our hearts for the Messiah to return is essential for the health of believers, okay? And I'll just say today, if you've lived your life in such a way where you're like, I'm just doing my thing, and that eschatology stuff, it's like, who can figure it out? Who cares, you know? I would just say that we should long. There should be a longing and a desire in our hearts. True believers should be yearning and desiring um, all creation groans, but especially those with the first fruits of righteousness. This is Romans 8. Should be longing for the return of Christ. Okay. So the second, in my opinion, the second coming of Jesus can be broken up into two parts. Part one is the rapture of the church, which is talked about in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. Part two is the return of Jesus to rule and reign on earth, okay? Um, part one, the rapture of the church, First Thessalonians 4, talks about there being a catching up, um, God gathering his, his saints to be with him in heaven. 
Um, but he doesn't stay there. He comes back and rules and reigns after that. So when I say second return, I'm kind of referring to both events um, as the return of Jesus. Um, this is a traditional view of eschatology, or maybe in particular, a traditional view of Westerners. You know, there might be other views around the world that are more predominant. But a, an illustration I would give you is this. It's like a, a football game. Football game, there's the first half, then there's halftime show, and then there's the second half. Now, we get to play in this game, this whole, the whole thing, right? The first half is the rapture, and the church gets to play a big part in that. Amen. The halftime show, we get to kind of view from heaven. We get to watch the, the great tribulation unfold from heaven. At least I hope that's the way it works out, because <laughs> I'd rather not go through the tribulation. The second half is when Christ returns to rule and reign, and he will return with saints of heaven. Okay, here's the deal. After the rapture, after the saints removed, the church is taken up and God will judge the nations for how they treated his bride, the church. Okay, what's all this stuff happening on earth? Well, this is, this is God systematically destroying and attacking the Antichrist kingdom and judging the nations for how they treated his bride, the church. Um, I don't, you know, some people are like, read this and like, I like baby Jesus, you know? I like suffering Jesus. I don't like this ruling King Jesus who's judging nations. Well, listen, he's both, okay? He did come humbly as a baby. He's the suffering servant. He's returning as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, okay? During, after the rapture, he will judge the nations for how they treat his bride. Uh, I don't know about you, but if you're married, you have a bride, and someone's abusing your bride, that, you take that personally, Right? There's some personal stuff there. So um, right now, there is more persecution happening in the world than has ever happened in the world. Okay? North Africa, Middle East, lots of Asia, and increasing in Europe and um, the Americas is the persecution of the church. This will continue to increase, and God is keeping score. Okay? Okay. So that's during the rapture. He will judge the nations for how they treated his bride. During Christ's return to reign on earth, Jesus himself will judge the nations for how they treated the Jewish people in general and the nation of Israel in particular. Okay? He's actually going to judge the nations for how they treated Israel. Okay? Um, I say all that to bring us to the second Bible verse I want to read. Um, And the predominant view is that this happens... um, um, after the rapture, when Jesus comes to uh, rule and reign. Uh, it's Zechariah 14. We're going to read verses 1 <clears throat> through 5. On a day of the Lord's coming. So this is, just just give you a little pre-preparation. This speaks of a very terrible event and very terrible time that's going to happen in Jerusalem. Um, a day of the Lord is coming, Jerusalem, when your possessions will be plundered and divided up within your walls. I will gather the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, and the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. Then, verse 3, then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives East of Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving forward to the north and half moving south. Uh, 
second half of verse five. Then the Lord will come and all his holy ones with him. Okay, if you're taking notes, and you should be, um, we read this verse uh, last week. We read in Revelation 19, 11 through 16, how Jesus is coming back on a white horse, and he's coming with his saints who are also on white horses to rule and reign with him. Okay, that's a, another picture of what we're reading right here. Uh, let's jump down to verse, and you can also read about this in, in Joel chapter 3. Uh, jump down to verse 8. On that day, living water will flow out of Jerusalem, half of it to the east, to the Dead Sea, and half of it to the west, to the Mediterranean Sea. In summer and in winter, the Lord will be king over the whole earth, and that day will be, and on that day, there will be one Lord, and his name will be the only name. Okay? Jesus will be king over the whole earth, ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. Okay? The chapter goes on to talk about how he fights against those nations who are who are coming against um, his 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 uh, against Israel. Here's the deal: Jesus Himself will settle the dispute over Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a very disputed city. If you haven't, if you don't know that, and if you don't know that, I don't know where you've been. Jerusalem is a very disputed city, but Jesus Himself is going to settle the dispute. Over that city. And I just want to say, as we need to be careful Christians of how we think about and deal with the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, and Jerusalem in particular. Okay? Um, <clears throat> it amazes me how much Christians, like, I'm not talking about like, the world, I'm talking about Christians who are like, here's my opinion on this. It's like, well, your opinion was, God has an opinion too, you know, and his opinion is more important. You know, if, if grandma passes away and she has a will, you don't have to debate what do we do with her stuff. That's why she has a will, right? If, you, if, if grandma dies and you don't do what the will says, like you're, you're going to get in a lawsuit, right? And it amazes me what Christians, where God is like, I've spelled this out in my will. I've given my will to this world. And Christians are like, here's what I think about this. It was like, okay, God cares about Jerusalem and he cares about the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. So... Your opinion stinks, okay? <laughs> Furthermore, I should be careful here. We have, st- I'm going to say it just like I think it. We have stupid politicians who think they know how to divide the, the, the state of Israel and the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. They're so dumb, okay? <laughs> because God cares that that land belongs to the Jewish people. That's not to say, um, to be pro-Israeli or pro-Israel is not to be anti-Palestinian or anti-Arab. It doesn't mean we can't love them both, but God obviously very, very much cares about that land, and we need to be careful. And here's the deal. Jesus is coming back to judge the Antichrist kingdom for trying to initiate a second Holocaust. It's the same spirit that wants to kill and the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. It's an antichrist spirit and people don't know what spirit they're of. We need to be careful. Okay. But here's the deal. Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords will literally physically and visibly descend upon the Mount of Olives, cross the Kidron Valley and go through the Eastern gate. There he will rule and reign over the whole world from Temple Mount for a thousand years. Okay. That is happening whether you like it or not, but you might as well like it and get on board with it, okay? So, 
why is this view, the view of the return of Jesus, so crucial for us Christians? Won't things, I think a lot of us were like, well, eschatology, end time, it's so hard to decipher, it's hard to figure out, so won't it just be, it'll just be what it'll be, and I'll live my life any other way. Okay. Um, I think it's important for us to always maintain the view of his returning and be longing and anticipating his return. And I want to give you a few scriptures for why I believe this is healthy for us Christians, okay? Um, 1 John 3, 1 through 3 says this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. Watch this. But we know that when, we, when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now watch this, verse 3. All who have this hope and all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Okay? All who have this hope in him, in his appearing, purify themselves just as he is pure. Now, someone might say, purify themselves. How can we purify ourselves? I thought only the blood of Jesus can purify us and cleanse us from sins. And yes, that is true. Only the blood of Jesus can cleanse you from your sins. But we're not talking about your sins, we're talking about your thought life and your walk life, okay? Having the return of Jesus in view causes us to live in such a way that we are not tethered to this world. See, if if we don't realize he's coming back and we don't realize he's coming to set everything wrong right, we will, we will kind of become too tethered to this planet, to this world, and to the systems and structures of this world. It's healthy for the believer to realize this, this dispensation is all temporary. Jesus is coming back soon, okay? This is why first, just the, the chapter before this, First John chapter 2 says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Okay, this is not to say that we can't have blessings in this life that God wants. uh, It's not to say that he doesn't want to bless us, and we can't enjoy um, blessings in this life. I believe God wants to bless us, and we can't enjoy those things. But we are supposed to live in such a way where we're not tethered and encumbered um, with the cares of life and the things of this world. Amen? Okay. So longing for the appearance of Christ, it keeps our thought life pure. It keeps our walk life pure. Our sins are washed away because of the blood of Jesus. But how many know your spirit is saved, right? That's what happened when you received Jesus as Lord. You were saved. Your spirit is renewed in the image of Christ. Your soul, your mind, will, and emotions is being saved. It's in process of being saved, and our bodies will be saved. Okay, part of that um, renewing of our minds, keeping the return of Jesus in view, helps us live in such a way where our thought life and our walk life remains pure. Okay. Um, Okay, I'm going to read a couple more verses. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28. Just as people are destined to die once and after that face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Okay? Church, let me ask you a question. Are you waiting for him? 
He's coming. He's appearing a second time for those who are waiting for him. We need to be waiting, longing, and looking to Jesus. Are you looking to the east gate? Are you looking for the return of Christ? I want to read another verse, um, 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. Um, this is Paul's charge to Timothy. He's like, Timothy, this is how you're going to be a great pastor. This is, this is how you do this. Paul says this, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. All right? Notice he says, in, in the presence of God, Jesus Christ will judge the living and dead. And keeping this view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instructions. Okay? He's saying, Timothy, it's important to keep the view of his appearing, the view of his kingdom. And then jump down to verse uh, 7. Paul says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there's in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. Watch this. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. All who have longed for his appearing. Church, are you longing for the appearing of Jesus? Okay. Are you, are you beginning to get the picture here? We are supposed to be looking longing and anticipating the return of Jesus to this planet. We're looking and longing to the rapture, and we're looking and longing to the reign of Jesus on this earth. All right? And when we do this, there's something purifying about that to our lives. We, our thought life is more pure. Our walk life is more pure. We're not tethered to the things of this world, and we're, we're tethered to the things of heaven. Amen? Now, most of the world... And quite frankly, a significant portion of the church are not living like Jesus is returning. Okay? And a lot of churches aren't even preaching this anymore. They're not even talking about the return of Jesus anymore. And we need to be. We need to be talking about it. Now, um, we don't know when he's going to return. And, and the generations before us who thought they were going to return in their day, listen, it was healthy for them too, even though they didn't, you know, you have loved ones who have passed away. They didn't see the, the return of Jesus. They didn't experience the rapture. It was still healthy for them to have this view in mind because it kept their thought life pure and their walk life pure. Um, but much of the world is living like he's not coming back and a significant portion of people who call themselves Christ followers. Um, I want to illustrate what this must be like to God. <laughs> um, this year, 2021, Myanmar's military shocked the world by overthrowing their civilian government. Um, the, this entire event was unwittingly captured on video by a fitness instructor who had no idea that it was happening right behind her. This gal's recording a fitness video and the seat of power of her entire government is being changed right behind her, and she doesn't even notice. This is what it's like. I, I, I feel like this is what it's like for a lot of believers. Like, do you not see what's happening in the world? And that there's coming some gnarly stuff, and the return of Jesus and the rapture is like closer than it's ever been. I can say that with confidence. It's closer than it's ever been. <laughs> closer than it was yesterday. So course I have a video to illustrate this so go ahead and go ahead and roll that. <laughs> 
literally the seat of power of her government is changing right behind her, and here she is. I don't know. You get up here and try it. <laughs> but isn't this how many of us live our lives? We're, we're just walking around. Right? Not knowing, just living our lives. The seat of power of the entire earth is in transition and changing. There is so much happening right now around the world. And we're going to be talking more about this in the future. But so many, countless billions of people aren't noticing it. And many, many Christians are completely oblivious to what's happening right behind them. We need to be paying attention. The drama of the ages is about to unfold with the culmination of Jesus, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords coming back to rule and reign, and countless people are completely oblivious to it. Church, are you waiting, watching, and anticipating the return of the Lord Jesus? Are you longing for his coming? Are you looking to the East Gate? I'm going to invite the prayer ministry team. I keep calling them prayer counselors. They're not counselors. They're not going to counsel you. I'm going to invite the ministry team forward and uh, we're going we're gonna to start to close here. Revelation 22, 12 through 17. <clears throat> this is Jesus. This is what he said. He said, look, I am coming soon and my reward is with me. I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magical arts, the sexual and moral, the murders, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Look at verse 17. The spirit and the bride say come. The Holy Spirit and the bride of Christ say come. Okay, notice they're in sync. The bride of Christ and the Holy Spirit, they're in sync. And they say come. Let the one who hears say come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of water of life. The spirit and the bride say come. If you're in sync with the Holy Spirit, and the church should be in sync with the Holy Spirit, we cry out, come Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit within us cries out, come Lord Jesus. I believe the true church of Jesus cries out, come Lord Jesus. So today I want to I close um, and encourage you. If you're not looking, longing, watching, and waiting for the eternal Lord, we need to be doing that. Something about that will keep our eyes on the prize, keep our eyes on the ball, keep our focus on Christ. We will live pure, we will walk pure, and manifest Christ in what we do. As we close this service, I want to... Uh, just take a moment to speak to a group of people that's here. That's those of you who have never placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. He said, all who, who want to come can come. All who want to take of this 
of this free gift of salvation may do so. In this current dispensation, Jesus isn't coming back to rule and reign. Right now, he's extending grace. He's extending mercy. He's extending love. He's trying to win hearts. And so if you're here, you've never received Jesus as Lord and Savior, I want to talk to you about how to get right with God before we leave this place. And, I, and as I said before, it's, we can't clean ourselves up. We can't erase our own sin. You could try for 100 years to be a better person. You would never erase that chasm between you and God, that guilty feeling that you feel. This is why, and Father God loves us and wasn't content to leave us in that situation. This is why he sent Jesus to this earth. He sent Jesus here because he loves us. Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty for your sin, for my sin, and the sins of the entire world. And when we place our faith and trust in Christ, he gives us the gift that we can never earn, the gift that we can never deserve, the gift of salvation, the gift of a restored relationship with the living God. And we get to be part of this amazing drama that unfolds for all eternity. It's so good. If that's you and you're here and you want to you um, uh, receive this gift of salvation, you want to place your faith and trust in Jesus, I want to pray for you. I don't want you to leave this place not knowing if you're part of um, God's, God's fold or not. So if that's you uh, and you're here, how many would say, I'm going to ask you to do something bold and um, that is, I'm just going to ask you to shoot your hand up right where you're at and because uh, I want to pray for you. So how many would say that's me? I'm going to wait for you and just if you would just shoot up your hand and say, yeah, I want to, I want to receive this gift. How many would say that's me? Looking for your hands. I'm looking for it right now. Jesus will come into your life, change you, and transform you from the inside out. Praise God. Almost every week they tell me, like, someone raised their hand in the balcony and we didn't see it. So I'm going to pray as though a lot of people there are. Okay, praise God. Thank you for your hand. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for your boldness. Okay, you can, you can put your hands down. And I'm going to pray a prayer. And I want you to just repeat this prayer after me. Mean it with all of your heart. It's not in the eloquence of the words I'm about to pray. It's in the cry of the heart that God sees. He sees your heart. And he's here today. And he's drawing you close today. So uh, if, if everyone would, everyone repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. Thank you for coming to this world. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for paying the penalty for me. Today, I place my faith and trust in you. Jesus Christ, I give you my life. I give you my past. I give you my present. And I give you my future. Be my Lord. Be my God. Save me. Wash away my sin. And make me brand new. In Jesus' name. And everybody out there said, amen. amen. Come on. If you made that decision today to place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, he has cleansed you from all of your past sin. And he will never hold it against you again. He will never bring that stuff up again. And he's made you brand new in him. You're like a brand new baby in Christ Jesus. And I just want to, first of all, I want to say, um, on behalf of a global house of believers, but this church, we're so honored that you made that decision today. It's the most important decision a human being 
can make while they walk on the face of this earth. I also just want to say that we want to help you in this journey. And if that was you, please come forward and let one of these um, ministry team members know that you made that decision. And we want to pray for you and encourage you. And um, it's really important that that connection piece and say, hey, that was me. We want to encourage you in this journey. And um, you've begun a relationship, but don't leave it there. It's like I met my wife. We went on our first date. We didn't leave it there. We kept going. So you've begun a relationship. You want to continue this relationship just like I wanted to continue my relationship with my wife. Right? Still? We want to keep this going? All right. We're good for another year, right? Okay. So definitely come up and and we want to encourage you in that and we'll point you in the right direction. So I'm going to pray and then we'll, I guess, go back and do a song here. So do you want to close? Okay, come on up in. Yeah. I'm going to pray and then Emily will give us some instructions. Lord Jesus, we thank you for... God, this is your word. It's not mine. I'm just preaching what you, what you gave us. And Lord, I pray you help, help us live according to this. Lord, I thank you that you have a plan, purpose, and destiny for every individual in this room. As long as we're here and we have air in our lungs, Lord, you have a purpose for us, Lord. And I just release destiny and purpose over these people here, Lord. Help us to walk in your ways. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks again for tuning into the City Lights podcast. We appreciate your support, and we'd love to fellowship with you. You can visit us on Sundays, 10 a.m. at 4100 20th Street in Greeley. Be sure to check out our website at citylights.church, where you can submit prayer requests, receive info on special events, and find our social media links. We're glad you could join us, and we hope you have a blessed week.